we think the stock market has 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 not really caught on to the memo that the bond market has. We think there's a, a pretty good you know bit of further downside in the stock market just to reconcile what the bond market has already done. Uh, never minding something more more serious. Welcome to Wealthion. I'm Wealthion founder Adam Taggart. Bonds <laughs> suddenly bond yields are shooting the moon and investors are beginning to freak out about it. How seriously should we be taking the situation that's happening in bonds? We're going to talk about that today with the lead partners from New Harbor Financial, one of the endorsed financial advisory firms by Wealthion. I'm joined today, as usual, every week by lead partners John Lodra and Mike Preston. Guys, thanks so much for joining us. Um, I'm going to apologize in advance, folks. Uh, I got back from my trip to uh, to Dallas uh, for Vid Summit, uh, the YouTube creator uh, annual gathering. Um, I think I got about three hours and 10 minutes of sleep here. So I'm going to apologize if I look a little scruffy and foggy on this call. I'll do my best to soldier through. Guys, why don't we um, why don't we just jump right into it? Um, John, maybe we'll start with you because I know that you prepared uh, some charts around this. Um, but we are seeing um, a, a bear steepening uh, in bond yields, uh, which basically means, you know, we, we saw for the past year and a half, the Fed has aggressively raised the federal funds rate, which um, dramatically uh, influences the short end of the yield curve, right? And that has led to the inverted yield curves that we've been talking about for many, many months here, where uh, this is not typical. Uh, the short end of the yield curve usually should have a lower interest rate than the long end of the yield curve. And that's just because uh, with more time, there's more risk involved. And so you want to get paid for holding uh, debt over a longer period of time. But for many quarters now, uh, the short end of the yield curve has been at a higher rate than the longer end of the yield curve. We've expected those yield cur that, that yield curve to uninvert. I think most people were expecting it to uninvert by the short end coming down. Those were the folks hoping for a Fed pivot. But what we're seeing right now is the curve is starting to uninvert or steepen by the long end of the curve, having its yields begin to come up. Um, that's causing a lot of consternation for folks because uh, higher debt yields act as a greater weight on the economy. They slow economic growth. They put over-indebted companies and households in greater jeopardy. Um, so anyways, um, how concerned should we be about what's going on with bonds right now? Hello again, Adam. Great to be with you as always. Yeah, that this this is the headline of of the the week and maybe even the last several weeks. The 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 rapid rise in longer term bond yields. Um, it's been front page news uh, how short short end rates uh, overnight rates have been raised by the Fed since I think March of last year, and that finally has given way to uh, very um, quite satisfactory yields on things like. Um, money market accounts and short-term treasuries. We we have greeted that with welcome arms because for the longest time, um, those rates were artificially pushed down to zero by the Fed and basically starved um, savers and, and folks that wanted to be more conservative for, from any kind of yield. And while the headlines of the last week or several weeks has been the rapid rise of rates as, the, as being the anomaly, it's really interesting because I think... Um, we've lost track about what the anomaly really is and was. Um, really, the anomaly, uh, if you go back and look at history in any kind of proper context, has been the last decade of interest rate suppression. So what we're seeing now is, is the predictable and natural and um, unfortunately disruptive uh, unwinding of uh, a absolutely anomalous 
set of policies that were uh, unleashed in the wake of the great financial crisis and as temporary measures, but they've stuck around and have doubled down, tripled down, quadrupled down on these measures, our central bank, our Fed, the central banks the world over, uh, and have made these a, a, a permanent fixture, which has now started to really run headlong into some problems, inflation, things like that. I'm going to share a chart here just to kind of put this in context. Um, so let's see here. Um, this is a chart looking at treasury yields of different um, maturities going back to the early 90s. So you get the uh, one-month treasury T-bill all the way to the 30-year. So absolutely, this is a – so we we saw the Fed start to raise uh, this this blue line here is the, the one-month treasury. That, that's a, as a result of the Fed raising. But what we've seen more recently is the longer end of the curve spike up dramatically, faster than any time in history, frankly, if you look at some of the longer dated, uh, or at least this history. And right. that it, is- just to, just to point out for folks, the, the bright pink line is the 30-year treasury rate. So that's the longest dated uh, bond yeah. in the series here. And that, that's been a massive, so the, the, the pace of increase of these longer bonds has been greater than the, the pace of increase in recent weeks and months of the short-term rate, because the Fed has kind of slowed down its pace of raising short-term. So that's when you talk about a, you know, kind of a, um, a an uninversion uh, of, of the yield curve. We're not, we're not yet uninverted, but the degree of inversion is, is dramatically less than it was. Um, but the real anomaly is this period here uh, in, in the wake of the great financial crisis for almost, you know, the entire period from, oh, Nine oh eight oh nine to um, with the brief exception of of the seventeen eighteen period here, we've had short term rates at zero, and that has suppressed a lot of uh, thing ca caused all kinds of um, you know uh, misallocations of capital. Sheila Bear, former FDIC uh, chair, penned a great response to a an op ed I think that was in Bloomberg. Basically, the the, the author said, look, hey, you know, let's not forget that low rates. The, one of the benefits of low rates is it gives rise to rocket ship um, disruptive, you know, companies that change the world. And Sheila's point, which was spot on, is like, you go back in history, those companies can always attract capital. It doesn't matter what the cost of capital is because they're the ones where the capital wants to go, not to the zombie companies that can raise capital because there is no cost of capital, right? So um, the, I just want to, it is a very shocking move in, in rates here recently, but the real shock was this and this is just a natural consequence of that i think we just got to reorient the discussion a little bit here that's great hey don't move off that chart yet because there's there's several important points here um so you use the term shock and i just want to remind folks that you know, we've talked about the analogy of throwing somebody into uh arctic waters right where um uh you know if, if you if you cool the body too fast Right, it goes into shock, and it can actually, uh, you know, die of of shock um, if jolted too quickly. Right, and so we're seeing potentially the setup for that right now. Right, where we've we've raised rates so fast that we literally may be sending the economy into economic shock here. And, and I think that's what a lot of people talk about when they talk about the Fed hikes until something breaks. But I just want to show th this chart, John doesn't um, doesn't shade recessions, um, but if you look at the previous periods where the Fed hiked, uh, you know, near with this level of aggression. Of course, the most recent data 
is is the the most aggressive in the series. But you go back to leading up to the 2008 global financial crisis, same thing was going on, right? You lead up to the 2000 crisis, you can see here that rates again were rising, not quite as aggressively, but again, it was another one of those periods. So you know, going into the early uh, uh, you know the, the recession of the early 1990s, sort of similar deal, right? So history sort of pretty clear on this, which is when the Fed goes into an aggressive rate hiking uh, campaign, uh, it does tend to send the economy into shock and then a recession follows. And of course, then all the scrambling comes in terms of the central planner response to that, which, you know, generally sets up for an even bigger calamity, you know, further down the road, right? So um, I, I just want to point that out here that, that the history is actually pretty clear. Even this data series we're looking at here is pretty clear what to expect next. Yeah. Well, let's not forget a little over a year ago, Jay Powell um, said at Jackson Hole, we need to impart some pain on the economy, right? Um, that is the intended result because it's it's the the mess that has to be cleaned up. They've got to create the the pain to to put the excesses back in the bottle, which, uh, you know, basically can can only be kicked so long. So I, I, this is the consequence of that. Okay, and there's two other things I want to mention here. Um, so one, you're absolutely right, right? When when you monkey around with the cost of debt and you make it, um, you know, lower than the natural market forces would, would want them to be, um, that's when malinvestment uh, ensues, right? Because basically capital starts flowing uh, down the quality scale, right? Because it, it has, you know, less perceived risk, right? Because debt's so cheap, right? And so you can see very clearly, as you pointed out here on this this chart, you know, basically from 09, you know, until uh, what 2016, uh, and then again over the past couple of years uh, during the pandemic response, you know, we fed rates at zero, which basically, I mean, th these were the lowest that 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 debt has been in hundreds of years, right? This is not just a you know a, a garden variety. Uh, intervention on on keeping debt rates low here in the U.S., lowest they've ever been in our country's history, right? So, you know, you can think of all the malinvestment that occurred during, you know, the better part of the past decade. We haven't had that clearing event yet, right? So there's a ton of companies that, you know, got a ton of capital and came into being that really can't sustain under sort of natural market force in a natural market force environment. Um, now that we are where we are here at these, you know, much higher relatively uh, cost of debt levels here, um, as as the debt that those weaker companies was able to take on at low rates starts to come up for maturity, if rates haven't come back down by then, you know, the risk of seeing a pretty big die off or at least a, a pretty big, uh, you know, trauma event uh, uh, for those companies is concerningly high here. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. It's it's uh, the the who's swimming naked uh, cliche that you you always hear about, and it's only right. Been... So there's one more thing I want to bring up. So that that's on the bad side. I was talking to Ed Yardeni uh, the other day, just yesterday actually, and um, he's he's got a much more sort of optimistic interpretation of the data. Um, and I'll, I'll maybe make some of his comments as we go through the discussion here. Uh, but folks, that interview is coming out next week, should be out on Tuesday. Watch for it. It is a really good sort of, you know, bull rebuttal of a lot of the negative data that we talk about a lot on this channel. Um, I do appreciate that Ed brings data to his his bullish side. It's, he's not just, you know, taking a philosophical standpoint. 
Um, and it's always good for us to check our assumptions. Uh, and you know, one of the things he talked about was, um, you know, deficit spending's been pretty high this year. That's something that's been sort of propping up the economy, something that has likely pushed out the recession that everybody was expecting to see happen this year. And one of the factors he said to keep in mind about that is, yeah, part of the reason why the deficit um, has grown so much this year is the contribution to interest on the national debt, right, has gone up dramatically this year. We're going to spend over a trillion dollars just on servicing the debt alone this year, right? But, you know, a material amount of that debt is is uh, treasuries that are held by investors, right? The people that are flooding out of banks into money market funds are T-bills. To your point there, John, they were getting next to nothing on, you know, safe fixed income type investments over the past decade. Now they're actually getting a pretty good return. So that's money that is going back into the pockets of Americans. Now, it's not widely distributed, right? It's, it's going to the more affluent homes that own uh, the financial assets, right? So it's not necessarily very fair. It may be worsening sort of the wealth divide in the country, but it is still keeping the households that are doing on a per capita basis, the majority of the spending in America, it's still keeping them supported. And I don't want to say flush necessarily, but but it's allowing them to continue spending, right? So it is interesting here is, is even though we're, we're, I think, rightly worried about, as I talk about the, the, the gravitational effect that higher bond yields have on the economy, at the same time, there is sort of a stimulus, a, a stimulative, um, you know, a stimulative effect here for the, the higher end, you know, American consumer. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah, I think that's a very, very fair point. And in the real, I think... Uh, challenge point comes to the the composition of of the debt um you know i'm not an expert on treasury uh, account funding but uh, you know uh, the mix of bills versus longer term bonds is key and and there's starting to be some i think legitimate concerns about um traditional buyers of long term debt going on strike so to speak um you know when you look at a chart like like this and and uh Sorry to be hogging this with all the charts. Mike's going to get into some good details about uh, the stock market and whatnot. But yeah, we're coming to you in a bit, Mike. Don't worry. You know, this is um, this is a, a a chart of the 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 pace of increase of the national debt versus G GDP. We have jumped the shark here. You know, this is this is on a dramatic expansionary that can't be sustained. Sustained. I mean, it's just simply. And you know, when you look at what's going on in bond markets, part of this, I think, is um, and and the point has been made that. Some of the traditional buyers are are not so willing to jump in in this pool anymore. This is this shows a a chart, a long term chart. Fidelity put this together. Um, they did they put out some pretty good charts on this lately. Um, it shows year over year change in in treasury holdings by some of the big holders, the Fed itself, uh, investors, uh, Japan and China. And you have here a a pretty dramatic negative year over year change in in the holdings at the same time where as we've seen the debt. Uh, has increased quite dramatically. I think uh, within hours, if not days, of this uh, debt ceiling, you know, quick kick the can. I think the the I think the Treasury added uh, two hundred seventy five billion dollars of additional debt in one day. Um, 
you know, just in, in pent up uh, borrowing from, from that event. So uh, we're getting to the point where these yields are starting to also say, hey, you know, basically bond investors are essentially lenders. When you lend to, when you buy a bond, you're lending. And then when you buy a treasury bond, you're lending to the U.S. government. I think, think folks are starting to get concerned about, hey, uh, you're getting a little out of, uh, get, getting a little bit more reckless than, than we care for in terms of your fiscal uh, house. So, so get it in order. Otherwise, we're going to, otherwise we're going to protest. And that's the so-called bond vigilantes. Right. So pull, pull that chart back up, if you will. And again, going back to Ed, uh, Ed Yardeni, Ed actually is the guy who coined the term bond vigilantes decades right. ago. Right. Um, and he said the bond vigilantes are back right now. He's like, he said they've been dormant for a couple of decades, but right now they're actually back. Um, so what I want to point out here, just just the obvious, right, which is, OK, who's been the biggest buyer of U.S. Treasury by far over this data series, John? Right. Oh, it's, it's the Fed, basically. It's the Fed, yeah. And they're out of the game right now, right? Like there's a there's a lot of factors going on that are impacting bond yields. You know, the, the country got downgraded. Um there's a big supply issue going on right now. You just mentioned it, John, right? You know, we're we're uh, basically issuing near about two trillion in in fresh U.S. Treasuries uh, in the second half of 2023. So there's a lot going on here. But I, I think maybe the biggest, most important factor is what this chart shows, which it says, hey, the normal buyer out there who was also the most price insensitive buyer, right? They they, they bought the most uh, with the least care for the price, is out of the game right now. Right. And so this is this is why Powell's higher for longer uh, is so important for folks to to pay attention to and to respect. Right. Yes. At some point, the Fed will change policy. But up until the time that it doesn't, this market does not have the support that it has had for much of the past 15 years. Exactly right. Yep, totally agree. OK, um, real quick. Uh, Two quick things on this. One is, you know, you talked about all the, the the discussions that we're seeing right now in the headlines of of how much higher rates could go. Um, so, you know, Jamie Dimon was in the news last week about saying everyone should be prepared for rates to go to Fed funds rate to go to seven percent. Uh, we've heard some people very recently talk about thirteen or so percent. Um, I mean, the the world under those types of yields, I, I, I can't even imagine. I mean, I just, we, we, there's a lot of intelligent debate over how much, uh, what, what cost of debt the U.S. economy can can withstand. I think there's a good argument to be made that today uh, it can't even withstand for long the rates that we currently have. But obviously at those numbers, it gets, it gets super dicey. That being said, um, J.P. Morgan, uh, their head of rates strategy, um, who he, he just came out and basically said that he thinks 10 year, the 10 year yield is um, 40 basis points too high right now. Um, and so, you know, the, the question that's sort of raised by that is uh, if they're advising clients now to start buying five year treasuries. So to, to start nudging out the duration curve. Um, so at some point here, we're going to hit a, a, a point if, if we believe that at some point these rates are going to come down again, um, where it is going to start making sense to go further on the, the the duration curve. I know you guys have had a position in TLT. TLT has been getting you know taken out to the woodshed over the past couple of months. Um, from your perspective as as you know capital managers and and having bonds as part of your portfolio, how are you determining how to play duration under this current environment? Yeah, I can respond to that, Adam. I mean, we it's uh, it's been a pretty crazy environment. You know, there there's been a meltdown to say the least in bonds. Uh, 
Um, yeah, I'd like to maybe share a couple things here as well, uh, starting with a chart of bonds. And and uh, it's, it's pretty stunning. You just talked about, you know, the, the, the stimulus kind of effect of the people that hold assets. Now, it's a very small sliver of the population um, because of the fact that a very small sliver owns most of the assets. But, you know, that kind of adds to the wealth disparity that we've been seeing uh, accelerate as this everything bubble, the tide that lifts all boats, doesn't really lift them equally. Um, you know, Charles Hughes Smith actually just put a pretty good piece out yesterday that really put some data to this and, you know, and, and shows just how exacerbated the, the inequality has been and that those with all of the assets have really, um, you know, really done quite a bit better. Uh, but you just asked a question about how to choose maturity. So let me just share a screen here. I'm going to show the yield curve. This is a this is a yield curve that we see on our system. And if you look at this line right here, this is, uh, well, across the top, there's a three-month, six-month, nine-month, one-year, so on and so forth. Take a look at this U.S. Treasury line. This is now, this is this is what we look at quite a bit. You can also look at it in graphical form, but we find this to be pretty useful. As you can see, three months here is at you know 550, 550, 550, all the way out to nine months. It drops a tiny bit at one year at 540. And here the two-year at 510 or so has it's been above 5% out to the two-year uh for a couple of weeks. And then of course it starts to go down. If you if you look at what the inversion is take a look at the 30 year at 488 versus the two year you know the inversion is now down to 20 basis points or 0.2 so the curve is uninverted it's uninverted. for reference mike can you, can you just tell people what it was like when the curve was was really inverted like what was the gap then um i can actually pull up a chart uh, and it, it was close to one percent basically one okay. percent you know um so it's actually un uninverted quite a bit I do have another chart that I can pull up in just a moment if you give me a minute, because it, it shows just how close this is to uninverting. But you can do the math in your head right here and see that the 210 is at about 0.2% inverted still. Historically, when the curve uninverts, that's when you really have to worry about a recession. That's when um, I'm going to stop to share just for a second here and show you this yield curve that I just mentioned. So here's the the uh, the yield curve that I just mentioned, this is the 10-2 in graphical form going back to the 1970s. We've had you know, one, two, three, four, almost there, five inversions over the last 40 years or so. When it starts to hook up and uninvert, that's when you really have to start worrying about a recession. It's happened every time. 1980, 1990, 2000 tech bubble, housing bubble here in 2008. And even if you look at COVID, we basically got to just a just a, a hair's breadth over inversion, uninverted. And then, of course, we had this recession in 2020, which I'm not even really sure you can call a recession. It lasts so such a short period of time. But you know, we we did indeed have a recession, according to the uh, you know the people that count the data. And here we were very un we were very inverted. And as you can see on the 10-2, we got the one percent inverted. This chart isn't quite updated because it's showing at around 0.3. We're actually 0.2 now. 
So it's it's very close. Once it uninverts, you know, watch out. Every single time we've had a recession, and here we stand at the highest valuations really in modern history in the last, you know, in the last hundred years anyway. Right at the tippity top of other big bubble peaks like 1929 and 1999. You know, now we have a debt of thirty, close to thirty three trillion. We're adding to that at two trillion a year. Yeah, we're uh, over that, have, by the way. We're we're over thirty three trillion. Yeah, so approximately 33, adding a couple trillion a year. We've got a Fed that seems to be intent on raising rates. I'm not sure why, after 15 years of staying at zero in that first uh, chart that John showed, uh, uh, minus one excursion for a year or two back in 2018, we were basically at zero for 15 years. Why now? Well, maybe they they know just how serious it is. Um, But going back, let me just go back to that other chart for one minute here, because one important point I want to make, and I'm not sure if I'm actually answering your original question, but this is the 30-year bond going back about 20 years on a monthly chart. Okay, so as bond prices go up, interest rates go down. As bond prices go down, interest rates go up. So prior to the financial crisis, the housing crisis, you know, we were right here on bonds at around 120 we had the uh, the housing crisis, a quick drop in interest rates brought bonds way up. But as we came out of that crisis, of course, the Fed decided to en- enter into quantitative easing and it created the peak of the biggest you know, bond bubble ever. And so we've gone from 191 down to 113, you know, not quite, but close to a 50% loss in the 30-year bond. The key point here is that at the present price, we have erased all of the gains going all the way back to the financial crisis. I mean, we've completely round trip. This has been a very stunning thing. That's what that's what bubbles do. They round trip usually back to the beginning of the bubble. It's our opinion that stocks are another bubble that really hasn't gotten the memo yet. They will, I think, particularly at these valuations. But, you know, so far it's been the bond market that has been really the biggest bear market of any assets that we follow over the last few years. We did start buying bonds, you know, back maybe a year ago after we've already created, created a lot. And, and of course we've had a much bigger down move since it's been really stunning, breathtaking. The, to us, it looks like the bond market is capitulating. Everyone's focused on it. Um, Again, the stock market really hasn't been affected that much, but, we think it will be soon. So, you know, one last point. You talked about, you know, who's the biggest buyer of bonds in the room? It's the Fed. So the Fed essentially held rates at close to zero for 15 years, in my view, robbing savers of what's estimated to be a couple trillion dollars in interest. You know, that wasn't right. That's not fair. But they're also using essentially public money to buy all of these assets all throughout this period, you know, in an effort to keep rates near zero and to keep the economy stimulated. Now that this market has crashed, it's estimated, and a lot of different people put these numbers out. John Hussman thinks it's close to $2 trillion. I saw somebody else saying $1 trillion. It's estimated that the Fed has lost between $1 to $2 trillion of public money if you mark to market the holdings of their bonds. Now, they're not required to do that, but you know, in my view, not only did they rob savers of interest throughout the years, now they've lost up to you know $2 trillion of public money and mark-to-market losses. This whole thing 
is such an anomaly in history. I don't think we even completely understand how big it is until we see the follow-on effects, which will probably include a stock market crash to some extent as well. So I will uh, I'll stop the share now for a moment. All right. Um, Maybe great I'll just chime in quickly. You mentioned, uh, you know, uh, Ed Yardini's comment that the uh, 10 years may be a little higher than it should be right now. We think clear running... that, that, that was J.P. Morgan's comment. I'm sorry, J.P. Morgan. I'm sorry. Yes. Apologize for that. You know, and, but at the same time, we've seen uh, folks out there, J, uh, J.P. Morgan's uh, Jamie Dimon, the CEO, said uh, we might see 7%. Didn't support with any data. We had a, a commentator on CNBC talk about maybe 13% basically using as a parallel the early 80s. Um, none of those were really presented with, with econometric data. You know, we think we're probably in the range where, where the 10 years probably getting in the, the, the range of being about right for the set of conditions. Uh, and in fact, I'll share one chart just to kind of, John Hussman, Mike mentioned John Hussman, he puts out a construct here. This goes back, uh, basically this shows the, the blue line, the actual 10-year treasury rate. And then there are two... Um, kind of metric bases for, um, you know, kind of estimating what the proper rate would be. And, you know, the green one is maybe pretty intuitive for folks. It's it's a combination of uh, inflation, uh, GDP growth, and T-bill yields, because there's a, typically a spread over T-bills to longer-term bonds. Uh, but then there's also this, this red line, which is a, a weighted average of uh, inflation, GDP growth, and T-bills. So bottom line is the last um, couple of years, year and a half anyways, you might say, based upon this model, the the 10-year yields were, were uh, unduly low, uh, that they had some catching up to do. Because um, inflation, you know, the first thing to, to kick up here was inflation that typically would cause yields to rise. And, and as these metrics uh, suggested, they should have. We finally gotten to the point where the 10-year is caught up with these, with these things. And historically, there's been a tight relationship here. So do we think they're going to 7 or 13? Almost certainly not. Maybe down the road, if we have um you know a continuing fiscal train wreck and you know some some change in the world order in terms of currency status and stuff like that but in the foreseeable near term we think the the further upside in yields is quite limited and, and perhaps we've already seen the top but our guess for the the the, the maximum move further is, is maybe to five maybe five and a quarter on the 10-year but that would be i think a, a you know a very extreme swing and, and we may be in the vicinity of of you know, topping out on, at least in the near term here, here on 10-year yields. Okay. And that's where I was yeah. going to go and, and keep the chart just for one second, because it looks like the inflation line right there, the red line, right, has peaked, right? And now it's, a, or sorry, it's it's not just inflation. It's a composite there. Composite, yeah. CPI, GDP, T-bill yield, right? Um, and so if inflation comes down, which I think people are expecting, uh, if nominal GDP growth slows, which I think there's a number of people expecting, um, you know, if that indeed happens, that suggests that that yeah, in, in the near term, then maybe we have peaked and, and things are heading back down, right? But but I'm glad you went here, John. You can you can shut this uh, chart off uh, because that's the question I was going to ask, right? Which is okay. So if you're an investor, right, uh, you got to say, okay, great. How much further is this knife going to fall? Right. So we have some data that, that you just mentioned there, John, that suggests that, you know, maybe we're near the end of this cycle. Um, and maybe even you said, who knows, we'll find out later, but maybe even the peaks already behind us. Um, uh, but we have uh, U.S. Treasuries have never declined more than two consecutive years. I think in the entire 
data set of the, the US markets, like going back to before the 1800s, right? Uh, looks like this year, we're going to have a third year, a third consecutive down year. So highly, highly aberrant. Um, probably highly, highly, highly aberrant that we would have a fourth year of declines, right? Anything's possible. But from a statistical standpoint, very, very low, right? Then we can get into all the sort of um, uh, fu fundamental discussions about um, okay, well, you know, if a recession arrives and then people rush to the safety of treasuries um, or something breaks and the Fed is forced to pivot and then come in and start resuming buying treasuries. I mean, there's a lot of things that we can say, hey, you know, we could see rates going lower next year for a whole bunch of reasons. And even on the technical side, and John, I think you might have prepared a slide uh, or chart there of, I think it's TLT, which is an ETF that tracks longer dated U.S. treasuries. Um, it's gotten beaten up a lot recently. Yeah, here it is right here. I'll let you talk to this, but if you can talk to, you know, it sort of looks here like we're seeing capitulation, right? We've seen a lot of down action on heavy volume, um, but also the relative strength indicator is, is at a very deep low when you look at it relative to the past 20 years. So yeah, here's the price uh, action of TLT and above. I uh, can't see it that well in this chart, but there's a you know, a 50 day and a 200 day moving average. We basically cut below both of those. Um, very oversold. Uh, and that bears out on this relative straight strength index here. Um, you can see in the history of this series, anyways, going back to the early 2000s, uh, never has TLT on a you know 14 period RSI um been this this oversold. That's not a guarantee that it can't stay there or get more oversold, but it is a you know, analogous to a rubber band stretching to its natural snapback point, and um, you know, very good reason. The other thing is, and you 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 mentioned this, um, this recent capitulate, which may be a capitulatory selling uh, 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 spree here. You know, it's it's been on massive volume. You can see the volume here. Uh, the only time in history it was greater was was in uh, in uh, uh, early 2020 during the COVID uh, crisis. So very massive selling. That oftentimes is a sign of exhaustion or by the sellers. And so we very well may see some, some footing here. And, uh, you know, just to, by parallel, if we do see five to five and a quarter on uh, on 10-year on treasuries, my guess is that TLT might see low 80s to 79-ish or so in that ballpark. All, the point being is that uh, even with that kind of move, we don't foresee a, a further waterfall decline, especially with these kinds of oversold readings. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Okay, now there's a lot of debate going on between folks now around bonds, right? There, there are some folks that are saying, don't touch them. They're going lower for a while. Um, Darius Dale would fall in that camp. Um, Alf Pecatiello would, who's a, a big bond guy. Um, and Alf's point of view is uh, the Fed is playing for its credibility here. Right. Uh, and so uh, it, it, it's not going to step in and start buying again unless one of two things happens. One, it gets inflation under its 2% target. It does not seem like that's something that's going to happen in the near future. 
right? Inflation, the, the remaining inflation uh, that we have is seem, seeming to be a lot more sticky, right? Um, so then the other thing is that something breaks under these high, these high yields. And um, Alpha is basically saying, don't expect the Fed to to pivot at the the first sign of of discomfort, like it it trained the market to for the past you know two decades. Um, he says that in that case, the Fed is is only going to pivot if its inflation target's not met. Um, once the world basically comes to the Fed on bended knee and says, please, please pivot. We 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 know you've got an inflation target you're trying to hit, but we the world are saying we're taking so much pain and losses uh, because of the breakage here that we're asking you to abandon the inflation control for a little bit and come help us out. So he's he's basically telling investors. You know, prepare for you know a fair amount of continued pain in the bond and stock markets going forward before the Fed is willing to step on in. Now, nobody has a crystal ball. We don't know if that's going to exactly happen. But there are people like that on that side of the the, the argument. Then there are people who I'll put like um, like Mike Leibowitz, uh, who's uh, uh, Lance Roberts's partner there at Real Investment Advice, and, and other people who I've interviewed who are saying, you know, we're getting a great opportunity here. Uh, to to buy into bonds at at, at great value um, because you're you're buying in at these really tasty yields right that are paying you to sit in safety and that you know for a, a litany of reasons several of which I already mentioned at some point the Fed is going to pivot in the next twelve to thirty months or so and you're going to be able to ride while you're getting nicely paid really big appreciate price appreciation in the longer duration part of the curve here. So it's a really interesting time here where I think you've got smart people that are that are, you know, looking at bonds differently here. I'm curious how are you guys looking at them right now and what decisions are you making in your portfolios? Yeah, I guess I'll answer that. Um Adam and I didn't really answer your earlier question on how do you select exactly which bonds to buy or what duration. So I think I'll, I'll answer that part of the question as well as I'm going through this. Um, but I'll, and I'll share some charts. I'll go back to the yield curve as well. So taking a look at U.S. Treasuries, it's pretty flat out to about two years, as I said. And for a long time, we've been rolling short-term Treasury bills, one, two, three, four months. And we still do for clients that ask us to just basically keep their cash safe because they might have a purchase coming up. But for, for all of our clients, we've started to, you know, to take a look further out. If it's not just a cash account for short-term needs and it's more for you know, longer-term issues or maybe out to a couple of years, it's it's becoming really attractive to go out to two years or so. The two years been above 5% for a couple of weeks. Like I said earlier, uh, just talked to a couple of clients in the last few days that we, we, we split money between the one and two year. I think that's a pretty good compromise if you don't think you need the money in the next year or so. Remember, if you buy one and two year treasury bills and, and notes in this instance, and rates go even higher, you might have a small loss on these bonds. The amount of interest rate risk that you're taking is approximately um, the, the increase in interest rate multiplied by the duration of the bond. So if rates go up 1% the day after you buy this bond, you might lose about 2% of the value of that bond because the market will immediately compensate the new buyer of anyone you sell to, to the market interest rates. But still, you're going to get these rates if you hold them to maturity and 
if rates are close to topping out or have topped out and or the stock market crashes, you might actually see these yields go back down, which means you can sell your bonds early. So we think that most of your money should be in the short end. You know, and still, we're in the relatively short end. In our model, we've started to reach out a little bit more, six months and 12 months. We're not going past that in our main model right now. But I think individuals and for those people that we talk to with you know, more intermediate term money, I think it certainly could make some sense to go out to two years. You mentioned a recommendation. I can't, sorry, Adam, I can't remember the name of who said it. Maybe to go out to five years. I can't say that that's wrong. But for me, for shorter term money, I think that you really want to stay within two years. So it would be, you know, if you've got an account, let's just pick a round number, $100,000, that's a cash account that you're going to be using for something. You don't know what, maybe a boat purchase or part of a home renovation or whatever. You're probably going to want to have all of that money within two years here. You know, this has really collapsed over the last few years, as we we showed, and it's threatening to have a third negative year. We weren't in, in it until last year, and we've had all kinds of hedges along the way that have reduced our cost basis. But, you know, no, make no mistake, it's still a painful position, and it's still down, and a lot of people are worried about it. Now, ironically, um, the, the more people are worried about it, and the more capitulatory the selling is, the more likely it is to a bottom. Take a look here on the daily chart as john had just talked with you a minute ago about the volume a couple days ago on tuesday we had what could be capitulatory volume but we think about 15 percent, 10 to 15 percent of one's portfolio can be on the long end maybe a little less if you if you don't have the stomach for it or if you don't have the ability to hedge it but we are in this position and we are hedged, at least on half of it. We have puts at 92, November 92 puts. So essentially half of our position comes right off the table because we're well below that now. Uh, we paid for those puts along the way by selling calls that are now way out of the money um, that are going to expire worthless or can be closed for a very small amount, very small cost. So right now we've got this position with 92 puts. We've got 98 short calls and still 106 uh, short calls. Uh, but the point of the matter is if you're not sophisticated, you're not going to do this type of hedging. I think you can nibble up to 10% in the long bond, no matter what vehicle you use. And, um, and But the rest of everything else you have should be very short term. Go out to maybe two years here um you know on your short-term money and and lock that in because at some point rates are gonna are gonna go down swiftly in the short end nobody believes it now but it will happen all right and I, i'm so glad again you walked through um briefly there how you are hedging the tlt position um folks this is what a good financial advisor does for you right there's ton of people I know at the beginning of this year who went big into TLT because they were so absolutely certain that, you know, recession was arriving uh, probably in the first half of 2023. Uh, and they just went purely long. And then, of course, it's been a very painful trade as the year has continued, as TLT has dropped further uh, than I think anybody really could have imagined at the beginning of the year. So by, you know, both um, 
buying into that position over time on your guys's end, right? You didn't go whole hog at the beginning of the year. Um, and using these hedges, you've been able to build income and buy downside insurance that have really cushioned the decline in TLT along the way. And yet you still have a core position there, Mike. So, you know, when you say at some point, short-term yields, you know, finally have that that moment where they they, they move downwards pretty quickly, you're in that position still, uh, haven't lost too much, uh, uh, haven't taken too much pain, and you're still there to participate in that upside. Yeah, that's the whole point. I mean, the capitulation in bonds has been stunning. I mean, John and I have been in the business a long time. We've seen we've seen a lot of crazy things. You know, we saw the tech bubble burst. We saw you know, the stock market crash back in 2008, 2009. But it's amazing to us watching these bonds come down, depending upon duration, half or more than half, seeing that the fastest rate increase or the fastest, you know, uh, rate of increase of rates back starting in March of last year that we've seen in really in history uh it's been stunning and you know people that haven't expected to lose money in bonds have lost money in bonds you know and and i'm not just talking about this year i'm talking about 2022 so really the world's largest market which is many times larger than the stock market has literally been gutted for 50 percent um it's it's shocking but it actually you know that's actually where you start to see some opportunity and so with the hedges, yes, we've been able to drastically reduce our cost basis. We've been able to um, stay in the position, but it's still, you know, it's still painful. It's still knocked a couple percent off of our performance over the, you know, the last handful of months. I do think that long bonds will, will bounce sharply. I don't know when. I don't know if it's exactly from here. As John said a minute ago. Uh, we could see we could see one more capitulatory wave, a little lower in bonds. But the point is this: this is not the broad stock market you're holding. This is U.S. Treasury bonds. They're at least over the next couple of years, they're going to be fine. They should bounce smartly. Long term, who knows exactly what's going to happen? Longer term, you know, maybe more than two, three years out, we could have inflation problems. You probably don't want to hold these permanently, but. There's a great opportunity here, in my opinion. Great. All right. And, and I want to underscore here, in addition to your point there of great opportunity, which I said other other analysts like Mike Leibowitz, for example, are saying too. But I just really want folks to take stock for a second here, because I cannot tell you guys how many times during 2022, as the markets were just grinding downwards, right, both stocks and bonds, where I heard from people, if I could just find a way to get a safe 4% on my money, that's all I want. Right. Like I would I would trade everything right now, you know, all future potential upside gain. If somebody could just guarantee me a safe four percent of my money, you know, for the rest of my time. Right. I mean, I literally heard that from more people than I can than I can remember. Um, we're at a point now where these safe instruments are paying you more like five. Right. So, you know, you, you can you can get in, 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 the, in the very safe bet. Right. Just sit on the short end of the curve, you know, buy money market fund, buy short term treasuries, just keep rolling them over here while you're getting five plus percent, which is great. But to your point, Mike, um, you know, if, if the bond market indeed does turn and yields go down and prices go up, um, if you're fully on the short end of the curve, well, then you mature out of those securities, right? And then then when it's time to roll back in, you get to deal with whatever yields are, you know, then, right? And, and let's just assume for a second, something breaks and the Fed comes back in, it really starts buying in volume. 
you know, yields could go back down below three to two, even lower. We've got some people that are saying ZERP, right? So this window of opportunity may not last forever, right? And folks, you know, whatever decision you make, you know, make sure you run it by your, your professional financial advisor to determine what's most appropriate for you. But this is sort of where Michael Leibowitz is. And I think to a certain extent, you might be too, Mike, which is like, this may be an opportunity to, to, to grab some yields on very safe treasury debt that we may not see again after this. And I, 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 I don't know, I'm not guaranteeing that, but I can certainly see a scenario where, yeah, you know, folks would love to have a 30 year 5% bond, you know, if the Fed eventually comes back in the way that it used to be and, and pounds yields back down again. Absolutely. Just, you know, note that we're not saying bet the farm here. You know, I said 10%, maybe 15%. Maybe if you want to be really aggressive, you can consider up to 20% on the long end. I certainly wouldn't do any more than that. We're not anywhere near that in our model. You know, net of our put hedges, we're only about 7.5% in uh, in long bonds right now. But an individual could could go higher if they wanted to. Again, nobody knows exactly when this is going to turn. Don't bet the farm. We don't know for sure that we're right. But, you know, this is what our experience tells us. And based on the capitulation we're seeing, the sentiment we're seeing, uh, you know, and, and don't forget that there's a lot of models out there. John Hussman's included. GMO in Boston is another one that show that stock markets should have negative returns over the next 10 years from here. You know, the S&P will likely be lucky to achieve a 0% return over the next 10 years. And here you have a 10-year guaranteed instrument near 5%. You know, if you're if you're afraid to buy longer term bonds like, you know, TLT or the 20-year, you could buy the 10-year bond. You know, you could buy it at a brokerage uh, firm. You could buy it at Treasury Direct. The 10-year bond is 4.7 something right now. And yeah, it might go to five, five and a half. You know, I, I don't know. But you've got a locked in return of 5% over the next 10 years when equities are likely going to yield zero. And they might yield zero in a way that's very boring, or they might yield zero by losing 50% and then clawing their way back to even over the next 10 years. Yeah. And and you you raise a good point here, right? One is we talk about another chart of John Hussman's that we show very often uh, is his uh, calculations of forward returns for the stock market um, given current conditions that we have. And basically he says they're negative, right? So we're looking at, I think it's like, he calculates out 12 years, like an average return of zero or something slightly negative, less than zero for the next 12 years. Um, we'll see who, you know, no guarantees that's going to materialize, but that's certainly what his models have been saying. Um, also too, from a, from a, just a relative standpoint, um, the risk premium, the equity risk premium is the lowest it's been in several decades at this point. And, and folks, that's just sort of a fancy way of saying um, you can get paid a higher yield in bonds now with much greater safety than the equity markets are offering, right? And so on a relative basis, from a risk return basis, bonds are like a slam dunk right now versus equities. So um, that's just one more thing when you you know look over at the stock market to say, you know it's, it's just one more leg of the stool that's getting kicked out from under stocks right now. Um, now, what's interesting, um, we don't have a ton of time left, uh, so let's only spend like a 30 seconds or a minute on this. 
Um, but talking to Andy Ardeni, he's actually pretty optimistic about stocks. Um, looks like the S&P, uh, according to his calculations, is going to put in a record high in earnings this Q4. And he expects those earnings to grow next year for a bunch of reasons that he'll talk about in, in, in next week's interview. Um, guys, I know that you're much more sort of pessimistic uh, on this, but I, I, I guess two quick questions for you. Um, if your outlook differs, which I think it does, why don't you just clarify it for folks? And secondly, how will you react in your portfolio positioning if Ed turns out to be right? I'll take a shot at that. Yeah, we uh, big picture. I'll reiterate Mike's Mike's comments. We, we do believe uh, in fact, the, the ability to predict historically uh, returns out of, say, a decade is far more uh, statistically reliable than, say, over the next year. And that's simply because when valuations get to levels that they have been, um, you may be wrong for months or years at a time, but ultimately through uh, big collapses, that forecast tends up, ends up being pretty correct, right? But you, you know a correction's coming, you just can't pinpoint the timing. Yeah, Exactly. So, um, but that doesn't mean we sit here doing nothing for 10 years. In fact, um, that that calculus changes uh, the more drastic we have changes in the market. We've made the comment that we think the stock market has 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 not really caught on to the memo that the bond market has. We think there's a, a pretty good you know bit of further downside in the stock market just to reconcile what the bond market has already done. Uh, never minding something more more serious. Uh, but that doesn't mean it happens in a straight line. In fact, I'll share a chart here just because in, in the short term here, we're, we're testing some really important support levels. This is the S&P 500. Hopefully that came up. You know, we've come off pretty good from the, the, the end of July highs. I think it's maybe 7 8% if, if I recall correctly. But we're testing a really important level here, right around 4,200. So a couple of things. So this, this trend line, this simple trend line from the October low of last year to right now is is right at you know 4200 we have a 200 day moving average which is this blue line here which is right at right around 4200 um you have this head and shoulders top that you know depending on where you you, you draw the neckline you know we're getting down towards the level where where maybe that uh is starting you know so and you got the support level here at 4200 very important proving ground we got some oversold readings here uh, the point being here, though, is these oversold readings, they're not a guarantee. Things can become more oversold and stay oversold for a long time when there is a, a phase change in markets. I will point out that we do have uh, hedges on our, our equity exposure. So we have you know equity exposure in areas that we deem to be undervalued, emerging markets, um, gold mining stocks, industrial stocks, some other sectors like that. But we have that uh, paired with uh, hedges, uh, put options that are now very deep in the money. The put options were uh, the strike price on the put options is roughly around 4,500. We actually have them on SPY and another. Uh, but point being is all this decline here has been offset by those those put options very robustly. Um, you know, and certainly those other sectors that we're in have seen declines. The gold miners as well. Uh, we we do have additional puts on those. But near term, we could see a, a, a basin here that that gives yield to uh, a, a move higher here, and and we have to allow for that. But a breakdown from here just as well could could give yield to. And I think it's really important to get back to position size discussion. As Mike said, you know, our conviction in long term bonds as being a, a, probably in the area of, of uh, ripe for a bounce. Um, we're not suggesting putting 50, 60 percent, just like we wouldn't suggest putting 60 or 70 percent of your portfolio in stocks simply because we're 
at a very uh, technically supportive level for, for a possibility of a bounce. Um, one other trial to share while it's on, on my mind here. This, you know, we look at across all kinds of assets. This is basically a dashboard, one of our dashboards we look at, and it shows basically a distribution of how over how overbought or oversold various segments of different assets are. So you got, you know, various styles of stocks here. You've got commodities, you've got bonds, and mo many of these asset classes are, are very oversold. Basically, the way to read this, this is, this is a distribution on its, you know, uh, basically 50-day trading trading band. Uh, anything above 100 is essentially outside of two standard deviations. So you have things like TLT, we've talked about uh, somewhere in here uh, on there. You got GLD, gold. You know, so a lot of these um, asset classes, there's TLT right there, are very oversold on a short-term basis. Again, doesn't mean they can't get more oversold or stay down there. But then you have things like the dollar, which has been tremendously strong. Very, very possible and very likely we get a pullback in the dollar, which will you know, reverse a headwind that that has been very stiff for things like, uh, you know, precious metals, commodities, emerging markets, non-dollar denominated uh, securities. But these are some of the things we look at routinely in our in our process to kind of navigate the landscape of asset allocation. Great. Before you take that off, super helpful chart, John. Um, yeah, showing you that the dollar um, you know, has been super strong, which generally tends to weigh on all those asset classes that are on the other end of the spectrum there. But they're clearly quite oversold, right? Mm -hmm. From a from a, a TA standpoint, um, and notice too that that SPY is in the column right next to the far right, right? So the, the S and P by this reading is is fairly oversold. If you can go back to the previous chart for a second, yeah, now just points point that the Nasdaq is less so, and oil has come off. Oil was way up here; it's come off. We had a I think a five percent drop in oil just yesterday, and the oil sector has sold off pretty good. Maybe get to the point where there's some action points for, for us to consider there. All right, good. And that's showing that some of these things are beginning to move, right? So um, I just want to underscore your your comment that this is a this is a time to really pay close attention to what the S&P is doing here because it's at this key level. Um, I just want to reiterate that we've had a number of experts on this channel recently who have said that their analysis leads them to believe that, that the more likely scenario from here is that stocks do bounce and that they have a relatively strong end of the year. Um, I think Ed Yardeni has got a 4,600 target uh, on the S&P. I think Darius Dale's around the same place. Um, Sven Henrik has said technically that's probably the more likely scenario. Uh, Lance Roberts is in that same camp. I interviewed Thomas Thornton uh, earlier this week. Um, he's got a similar sort of expectation. Not saying that that's going to happen, folks, but I'm saying that there's a, a lot of people who are smart who are looking at this data and, and historical data and saying that's actually probably the more likely scenario from here. So I just I just get that out, put that out there because if you're super bearish and super concerned about all the other macro issues that concern all of us that we talk about a lot on this channel, I just want to make sure that if the market does bounce into the end of the year here, that you're not totally caught by surprise in such a way that you take on losses given your current positions that you can't sustain. So just just be aware of that potential from here. Um, you know, from a TA standpoint, it does on that chart, John, look like the markets are oversold and likely due for a bounce. But if they if they break through that 200 DMA that they are basically sitting on right now, then that becomes a really important moment, right? That's the moment where the market says, whoa, wait a minute, support is not holding. We're in a different world than we thought we were. 
And we got to take perhaps, you know, some some very swift action around this. And that's where you can see some real waterfall selling as everybody scrambles, correct? Yeah, that, that's pretty much the basic takeaway. Not None of this, as, as convicted as any of us sound, we always have to humbly acknowledge we're talking about probabilities here. And the, 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 the best we can do is to immerse ourselves in rigorous analysis to help weigh those probabilities. And just because something's a 1% probability, theoretically, doesn't mean it can't happen, right? So it's all about um, weighing and being prudent and weighing the odds of things. Yeah, and, and it's important, too, that that sentiment is a massive driver of price in, in markets, right? And the sentiment shift that occurs when when a limit is looked at as, as a floor, and then all of a sudden it's looked at as a ceiling, right? So if we break below that 200-day moving average, that, that long-term trend line, if that no longer holds, then all of a sudden, a lot of investors have to say, I've got to totally readjust you know, the way that I'm pricing things because what I thought was a floor may now actually be a ceiling, right? So you have to pay you know, close attention at these key moments. And we just happen to be in a key moment. How it's going to resolve, we don't know, but we can tell you we'll be here every week tracking it for you folks. So as we get more data, we'll let you know um, what it's telling us. All right, I got to wrap things up here, folks. We're at the end of the hour. Um, real quick, j- just to put it out there, we can talk more about it uh, in, in maybe next week's video. But since we've spent this whole time talking about bond yields, I just want to underscore that the banks are still in a world of pain, uh, given the continued increase in bond yields here. So first off, it it accelerates the flow of capital, deposit capital out of banks, right? Because it just makes money market funds and treasury bills more attractive to the consumer who's sitting in you know cash in a bank and not getting paid nearly as much and and interestingly i i got stopped at the grocery store a few days ago uh, in my hometown by a guy who recognized me from wealthion and you know basically said yeah i'm sitting on a whole bunch of cash it's with a big bank a big name bank and i'm getting paid like less than two percent on it and I, i just said to him i said look you know yeah, I can't give you individual financial advice, but I can tell you that there are things that you could do tomorrow with that money that would probably increase your safety that would more than double the return that you're getting off of that, right? And as more c- customers wake up to that, this is money just hoovering itself out of banks. Um, now, banks, um, they they have, you know, their, their business is in lending, sh- uh, borrowing short and lending long, right? Um, so a lot of their long lending in the past was done at 3%. Right. So those loans are bringing them in only about, you know, a three percent income stream where now when they borrow short, they're borrowing at over five percent. So their 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 yeah, their business model is dramatically impaired by the mismatch in rates right now. And of course, the higher rates go, the reserves, the 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 um, the asset reserves that banks have are getting further and further impaired. Right. They bought all these treasuries again at low rates as rates have gone up, the treasuries and the bonds on their books have gone down. So the higher rates go, the more losses they're sitting on. And right now, unearned losses at banks in the US banking system sit at a record $700 billion right now. So I just want to underscore that like, you know, this is not academic, folks. I mean, the banking system is under increasing strain from here. When we talk about something that could break, it could be the banking system, right? We saw it, it begin to break back in March. Um, they, they patched it up with the BFTP and a few other things, but who knows how much longer that's going to hold for, you know, maybe more extreme measures are going to be needed. And that is the thing that would cause the Fed to get off the sidelines uh, and move, because at the end of the day, the Fed is made up of banks. 
It exists. It exists for banks' interests. So we have to keep really close attention to what's going on in the banking system. John, Mike, anything you want to say about this? It's uh, again it, the the anomaly. As much as we want to look at that, the anomaly was baked into the cake when the Fed did what it did over the last decade, right? And this is just the the almost predictable consequence of of that coming to roost. Oh, it's almost the, the great irony here, right? That that the, the the Fed. I mean, all all the banks did was follow the Fed's lead, right? The the Fed shoved interest rates down to record lows. That created in many ways a bonanza uh, for the banks, and they 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 bought assets accordingly. They loaned and bought assets accordingly for a ZERP world or a super low interest rate world. Now that the Fed has changed the game, you know, all of a sudden the banks that were were dancing to the tune of the Fed are now finding them finding themselves on the wrong end of the equation here, right? So, going to be very interesting to see what happens. But I just want to underscore that 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 the the higher rates go here, the the more vulnerable the banking system becomes, and that is the thing the Fed cares absolutely the most about. Um, all right, folks. Well, as we wrap up here, very important reminder: uh, the Wealthy on Fall Online Conference is coming up fast. Uh, it's just two weeks away at this point, um, Saturday, October 21st. And the early bird price discount that you've been hearing me remind you about again and again and again expires this Sunday at midnight. So if you're thinking about coming to the conference and you haven't yet registered for it, act now to lock in that early bird price discount. That's how you're going to get the lowest price for the conference. If you're an alumni of previous conferences, check your email inbox. You'll have a code there for me. You can use to get an additional 15% discount on top of that 29% early bird discount. Just want to remind folks too, that uh, if you can't watch live on Saturday, October 21st, or if you can't watch the full day because you have a life, you get to take kids to soccer, that type of stuff. Don't worry. Everybody who registers uh, is going to be sent replay videos of the entire event, all the presentations, all the interactive uh, live Q&A parts of it. Um, so you don't have to worry about missing anything if you can't watch the whole thing live. Um, and as John and Mike have done a great job in today's uh, discussion um, highlighting, um, as usual, we highly recommend that people navigate this highly uncertain environment that we've been talking about here for investors under the guidance of a good professional financial advisor who takes into account all of the macro issues that we've been talking about here. There aren't that many that do that. If you've got a good one who's doing that for you, great, you should stick with them. Uh, but if you don't, or if you'd like a second opinion from one who does, perhaps even John and Mike and their team there at New Harbor, then consider scheduling a free consultation with the financial advisors endorsed by Wealthion. To do that, just fill out the short form at Wealthion.com. Only takes a couple of seconds to fill it out. These consultations don't cost you anything. There's no commitment to work with the advisors. It's just a free public service they offer to help as many people as possible position as prudently as possible today in advance of all the potential shoes to drop that John, Mike, and I have talked about here. Uh, if you've enjoyed this video, like having John and Mike come on and help make sense of the markets for us every week, please do me a favor, vote your support for them by hitting the like button, then clicking on the red subscribe button below, as well as that little bell icon right next to it. Mike, I'm going to let you have the last word today. We're living during a time of extremes. It hasn't been an easy ride uh, for the last 15 years, really. I mean, a lot of people we talk to feel like, you know, what's real? You know, a lot of what we see around us feels like an illusion. And it's true. It kind of is. There's an illusion in the financial world that's been created out of these, you know, really pretty insane policies uh, in the bond market, uh, you know, and in, 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 I guess for lack of a better word, manipulating interest rates. Well, 
Now uh, we think that we're getting closer to, or, or very close to the to the reckoning time. So, you know, continue to be safe. Maybe nibble on some long term bonds. Uh, stay safe in the short end. We didn't even talk about gold and silver today, but gold is taking it on the chin. It's down at eighteen fifty. The charts look a little weaker, but still okay. It's it's testing uh, people's faith here, and it's causing a lot of people to be frustrated. But if you don't have any gold or silver, great time to buy it here, 1850 or 1825 on gold. You know, the chart's not completely broken. So we still think it's gearing up to have a great, you know, uh, end of the year and probably next year as well. So with that, thank you very much. All right. We'll end it there. Thanks, guys. Everybody else, thanks so much for watching. If you'd like to schedule a consultation with one of the financial advisors at New Harbor Financial, simply go to Wealthion.com. These consultations are completely free and there are no strings attached. The good folks at New Harbor will simply answer any questions you have about your investment goals or your portfolio and give you their best advice given their latest market outlook. They're willing to do this because they care about protecting people's wealth and because Wealthion has connected them with so many thoughtful investors just like you over the past decade. We started doing this because so many people have approached us in frustration, looking for a solution because they're feeling out of alignment or downright ridiculed by the standard financial advisors who have been managing their money. You know the type. The kind that just pushes all of your money into the market, scoffs at the idea of owning gold, and when you bring up concerns about the market's sky-high valuations, they say, don't worry, the market will always take care of you. For many of the reasons discussed in today's video, we think this is one of the most challenging and treacherous times in history for investing. We strongly believe that today's investors are best served working in partnership with a conscientious professional financial advisor who understands the risks in play. Now, we're agnostic which professional advisor you work with, as long as they're good. If you're already working with one, that's fantastic. Stick with them. But if you don't, or are having trouble finding one you respect or trust, then consider talking to John and Mike and the team at New Harbor. Now, for those about to ask, yes, there's a business relationship between Wealthion and New Harbor, which we put in place to make sure everything is handled according to SEC regulations. All the details on this are clearly provided on the Wealthion.com website. Also, it's important to note that New Harbor is able to work with U.S. citizens, green card holders, and those with existing assets in the USA but for regulatory reasons, they aren't able to take on non-U.S. clients. All right, with all that said, if you'd like some insight and guidance on how to protect your wealth during this unprecedented time in the markets, go to Wealthion.com to schedule your free consultation with the good folks at New Harbor. Thanks for watching.